Hey guys, welcome to the Do Good Podcast and I am your host Rob Watson and I'm so excited about sharing today's episode. Hopefully it can be a little bit of an antidote for what's going on around the world at the moment which is pretty unprecedented to be honest. It's quite a time that we're living in. I won't delve into that too much but because we all know what that's all about but I do hope that um, this episode will help in some way and it is with Lee Harris who is an intuitive guide, author and speaker. He offers grounded practical teachings which is very much focused on being helping us to be more conscious, intuitive and helping sensitive people thrive and heal and live a better life. You know, his messages reach literally hundreds of thousands of people every month via his very popular energy update videos. Lee also mentors creatives, healers and entrepreneurs on how to bring their gifts and talents into the world. And I think it's a great story because Lee, even though where he is now in the world and he's very much like, you know, he's doing amazing work and he's really living his passion, he's helping many thousands of people. It's been quite a journey for him, it's taken him you know almost a couple of decades to get to the place he is so it just shows that you know we start from humble beginnings we can start small if we've got that dream then you know there is a way forward to it and by listening to Lee's story and other people that I share on this podcast hopefully inspire us no matter what the situations are around the world because these things will pass the sun will shine again for us and we can use these opportunities potentially now to be a bit more focused, going a bit more inward, focusing on what we want to do with our lives so we're not so distracted by the outside world. Anyway, let's move into the day's episode. I see you and what you're doing now and how you know really just doing amazing stuff out in the world and to see how you've just followed the flow probably in a lot of ways and are now what appears to me like living an incredible life in California away from the British weather yeah yeah it no you're right it's funny you don't you know how you don't often stop and think very often about things and we were just doing this event in Portland I mean I do actually I do reflect but we were just doing an event in Portland and a workshop participant who I hadn't seen for about three or four years, she said that to me, not unlike you. It's like just, you know, seeing the the evolution. And I do, I do feel really grateful that we're at the point that we're at. But but I also, I don't know, I honor slow growth. I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, I think there's a real trend right now of build up your followers. You know, there's a lot of tactics and hacks and I don't know. I, I kind of, I mean, I think that's great if that's what you want to do, but I also feel like there's something to just carrying on doing your thing steadily and keeping your eye on the quality and your enjoyment. And I seem to see that work for a lot of people. So, Hey, if you want the LA thing to work, it can work because you'll figure it out. You know, it's funny. I, America seemed hard to me in a certain way. Um, to get into but once I once I'd made that jump it, it was so logical that I would end up here because yeah, the vibration of the place there's something about it there's something about the possibility so I still have my British humor and kind of you know that cynical slightly moaning humor like I miss it sometimes so I have friends here who'll also like laugh with me in that way but I know the op- of this place really helped me it really it was what I needed because in the UK I felt starved of that optimism and possibility apart from with the few close friends I'd found um, 
So vibrationally, this place makes more sense to me than the general attitude in the UK. That was kind of what I'd kind of come to understand. And then the irony is, as soon as I moved here, I started missing the UK, you know? It's that thing of you're like, oh, I don't, you know? So I, yeah, I love both, but living here is right for me. Yeah, that, that feels good. And because you're saying, just to touch on what you're saying before about you've been in, you know, this idea of slow growth, because you've been doing your work for, you know, what, 15, 16, 70 years since you kind of, you know, you're doing readings, was it right? Back then? Yeah, 2004. Um, 2004, I was encouraged to give a reading to, to someone I didn't know. Um, more specifically, a friend of mine, Anaya Sophia, who's an author now and she does her own work out there in the world. She was at the time a local yoga teacher, shaman, healer friend. And I also had had some, I'd gone on one of her yoga retreats. She was a great teacher. And um, she said to me one day after I'd helped her with something at coffee, which was how it kind of happened for me, you should do this. Um, You should do this as a job. And at the time I was doing other work while I tried to get things moving in the music industry, which was, you know, my, my kind of passion and my goal at the time. So yeah, I very tentatively drafted a paragraph about how I might be able to do this for the public if they weren't with me. So I thought, well, if someone sent me three questions, I could, in the same way that when I'm sat with someone, I, I kind of have learned to follow this thread of information that comes through I could do the same thing. So I didn't think anyone would come actually. And I just made it voluntary. So I said, you know, give me a donation of whatever you want to give me. It will take me about 90 minutes. Um, Yeah. And it just, it took off like a rocket really fast. I think number one, it was low risk to the person. If they didn't like it, you know, they, they might've given me 10 pounds, you know, so it's very, uh, but, but I think because of that accessibility and because it spread organically, this was pre me having a website, people would just hand my email address around and I created a special email address for the readings. Um, it was guidance2012 at hotmail.com. Um, and then that ended up becoming the website I went with for a while because 2012 was such a big spiritual focus at the time. And for me too. So it was like, okay, let's, let's do this. That's really how it started, but that was 16 years ago, yeah, and it's just evolved and built since then. And you couldn't imagine really that, you know, 10, 12, so many years later, you'd be moving to America and, and where you'd be now. And I think you know, no. people are having that vision now of wanting things fast and having that vision and maybe like driving it a bit too hard and that comes from the ego rather than maybe coming in from, like, you know, from a deeper part of yourself. Yeah. And it's interesting having been like a a student of self-growth and transformation for as long as I have, and then taken so many people, facilitated so many people through self-growth and transformation for so long now. um, It tends to be that when we're desperate for speed, when we're desperate for the change to happen fast, we're trying to outrun an emotion, a situation, a wound, that's hard for us to deal with. And I did it too, you know, and I, and so there's no, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think it gets easier. Usually the older we get, uh, the more we're able to be with the ups and downs of life. And we're, we're not perhaps as escapist as we are when we're younger, but equally, you know, something very challenging could happen to you when you're 55 for the first time in your life and bring you to your knees. And 
you might be trying to, through panic, anxiety, grief, make these things happen. So I think in a way, one of the things I notice on the internet is because the internet is this hyper-stimulating force, if we allow it to be, like if, if we stay on it for a long time, if we get lost on an internet, you know, rabbit hole, um, if our dopamine is going because of the speed of everything and social media, um, I think that you can get lost in this get rich quick, this, do th- this strategy will, you know, make this happen for you. So I, I think we're still in this very early time of figuring that out. Um, I think it's easy to kind of get sucked into an energy that maybe isn't quite for you on the internet in just the same way it can be in life until you figure out who and what your resonance is. Yeah, I've, um, when you say that, you, you see a lot of people, you know, live the laptop lifestyle wherever you want and Bali, Hawaii. And uh, we went to Mexico the other year and we had we got pulled into that energy a little bit. But then we were seeing people in all these beachside little places on the laptops and they look miserable. And it just, and they were working on all spreadsheets and stuff. And I don't know, and they had sand all over them. And it just made me think, well, okay, maybe that's great for some people, but I've seen the other side to it because sometimes you just see the Instagram photos of, and you get caught up in it. And and like you said, you moved to America and then there's a part of you thinking, well, I'm missing UK a little bit. And there's, there's that element. So yeah, it's maybe like you say, taking small steps to things rather than you can make big leaps at times, but I think we all need that, but it's nice to just to go a bit slowly with stuff. Yeah, and I, I think I think you make a really good point about fantasy versus reality. And one of the things I've always loved about, you know, people who have experienced extraordinary fame or extraordinary wealth, both of which we're all taught to idolize in some way um, or think is a good thing, or certainly, you know, I'm 43. So when I was growing up, our media tended to glorify famous people, wealthy people, people who had achieved big things. Um, And we never really knew how those people felt and they weren't really encouraged to talk about it. And I think what I've loved in the last 30, 40 years is, I think it was Lady Gaga who I saw interviewed about four years ago. And she was talking about, you know, the depression that she experienced and, uh, you know, she got what she wanted. Um, She said, but it didn't solve some of the emotional issues that she realized she thought that fame, success and outer validation would. Because along with it came all kinds of financial stresses, the complexity of having a large group of people wanting product from you, seeing you as a cash cow. Then of course there are haters. You know, whenever you have a, a certain level of popularity, the percentage of haters grows. Um, it's just a percentage game. You know, no one can be f- liked by everybody. So handling that level of size is, is I think, something that we don't talk about enough. And um, we sell this dream idea exactly as you said, oh, you could be on your laptop in Bali. And, you know, if you're sat at your desk in the cold with the rain outside, miserable in your job, that seems like the perfect solution. But, you know, then you'll get to Bali and you'll have a little bit of a romance period for a while. And then suddenly you'll be like, oh, I've got to keep getting on that laptop or, oh, doesn't feel quite the way the Instagram advert sold it. And there's nothing wrong with an Instagram advert unless 
we are mindlessly projecting onto it, which to some level, none of us can help. We're all going to project at some level. But I always say that, you know, the kind of person that you want to find as a teacher is someone that you can identify with, shares your values, um, and, and kind of paints a picture that feels like it fits you rather than something very different. You see that a lot in the spiritual world too. You'll see people staying with spiritual teachers or gurus, trying to become more like them because they have some idea that their life is better and they're struggling, but they're still there four years later thinking there's something wrong with them rather than going, oh, maybe I got everything I needed from this person. Maybe it was these four things that they were able to help me alchemize. And these other eight things I'm trying to find, peace, enlightenment, they're never going to come from that person's yoga pose, even though they keep trying to force me into this yoga pose that's not really, you know, it's causing me pain. But I think we have a, an unexamined, we have a habit of not examining other teachers and not seeing them as people and as flawed as the rest of us. So I think you can go, oh, well, I must do exactly what, Tony Robbins did. No, Tony Robbins's path worked for him because of who he was as a personality, because of what he was going through vibrationally in his life at the time that he was on his rise to success, and also because he intersected the world at a time that the world needed what he had. So you can't follow Tony Robbins's strategy and have it work for you unless you are very much built the same way as him or in that same circumstance of time meets opportunity. And so there's nothing wrong with, I think, any of us offering strategies to people. But I think one of the things I try and do in my work, and I think we all have to try and remember is somebody might have a piece for us, or they might have 20. But we are supposed to create our own unique path. None of us should be copying someone else or trying to copy someone else. And I think the you know, the, 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 the negative side of social media can be that this comparison culture has kind of gone nuts. But I also think, you know, it's kind of good because it's making people suddenly really see comparison culture, how that has always existed in us. But I think things like social media can amplify the honesty and the dishonesty of that. So it's, it's definitely a time where I think we're having to navigate our way through all of that and figure out what's our truth yeah that's really really well said and i watched your recent uh, one of your recent podcast which was talking about dealing with criticism online and and it came to me just it, really interesting again like i said to you before about the energy updates you might have been like you've spoken them just for me and i just actually got some online criticism recently myself and it was i actually watched your video before i even responded to any of the criticism and i was like Okay, because in my mind, my mind is reacting, thinking, say this, say this. My ego, you know, getting wounded or triggered. And, and I'm like, no, I'm going to sit with this and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to breathe into it. And I'm going to say, actually, which part of me is, is feeling resistance to this or is feeling hurt? And if it's just a part of my ego, you know, there's, I don't want to get into a tit for tat. I'd much rather, so I just sat with it. And then the day after, I, I responded to a couple of them and I just left some of them and I thought, I'll say what I feel like I need to say. I'll do it in a nice way. I'll, I'll be as light as I possibly can. Um, but it's still tricky because I remember you saying like, you know, we could get 10 great comments, but one small negative comment, 
and you know that negative bias that we have we just get onto it it can stay with us i'm in the shower i'm thinking about it i'm making my tea it's running around my mind i'm going out for a run it's on my mind so it's it's really interesting to hear the way you know you talk about that maybe it'd be quite good if you could just you know just reflect on that a little bit now for the listeners well i'm really glad that helped so that's cool um yeah i a couple i think you know so the video is is on youtube and the because i i recorded it probably two or three months ago but i think the key points that i normally share around dealing with online criticism is it will happen it's a numbers game you know you you can't have 500 people like something and not have three four five not like it number one you've got to ask yourself about the mindset of the critic. Sometimes somebody is going to say, Oh God, I can't stand this person. And what a load of rubbish. And you know, they just got it in for you and they just, you know, so then you go, okay, they just want to take me down. That doesn't feel good, but they've clearly got it in for me and they're venting their spleen and they're using me to do it. Who knows what's going on in their life? Who knows who I remind them of? Who knows, you know, okay. I wouldn't want to sit and write all that out in the comments. So we're clearly different people, but okay. Then there's the kind of criticism that can actually be really useful. I remember somebody once criticizing many, many years ago on YouTube, someone kind of saying, (laughs) saying, yeah, I like what he's saying. This is about one of my videos. Yeah, I like what he's saying, but I wish he'd get to the point quicker. And I remember, you know, I, I was trying to work on that at the time myself. So I didn't disagree with that person. So sometimes someone might say something that helps you improve. Um, so that's great. But the thing that I share on that video is you might get criticized eight different ways. Someone might not like your hair, your face, the way you look, your accent, your topic, you know, they might just have it in for your topic, in which case, you know, that's happened to me with channeling. It'll be like, oh, channelers are frauds. And and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. So I don't even need to investigate that. But they might say one thing that gets under your, under your skin. They might say, God, he's just not very intelligent. And suddenly you're like, and you, you realize your wound, your fear that you're not intelligent enough, your father or your teacher who used to say, oh, you're just not very intelligent, are you? It's still in there. And what they've done is they've put their finger on the button. So it can be a really good chance to self-examine. And then I think in terms of responding and dealing with it, I don't write back at this point because we put out a lot of content now. So there's you know, lots of comments every day on various platforms. So I, I, I don't really engage in the comments because I, I would rather focus on the work. But I've seen some people brilliantly respond to comments. You know, they do it with humor or they do it in a very compassionate way. And that's part of what they're doing. And I have in the past responded to some um, and it's gone well. And I've managed to be able to have an actual conversation with that person about their criticism. And sometimes it's really transformed and I've learned something and they've learned something and all the community have gone. This was amazing watching this happen. But other times I remember at the very beginning, if I tried to, if I disagreed with someone's disagreement of me and I went back to it nine times out of 10, and this is based on reading the energy. They don't want you, they don't want to change their mind. 
they've made up their mind, they're bold enough to say it, and they don't want to even consider. So I think you have to make your own decisions about how you respond, but what you can't avoid when you've seen a comment is noticing an inner response. And I think for me, one of the interesting things about the online criticism video, I should probably do another video that covers this, inner criticism. The criticism that we go through, you know, I even had it yesterday, I was recording two new interviews for my podcast show, um, and the second one went really well. And the first one went well too. And everyone in the room thought it went well. I didn't. I kind of was lying in bed last night going, ah, oh, I should have framed that differently at the beginning. If I'd have framed that differently, it could have been a bit more fluent. And then what you learn through doing this work is most people don't even notice and they're still grateful for what's there. So I think our own inner critic is something we have to deal with and learn to work with. And I, over the years, because of my commitment to doing the work, I have, I have, I've so many times had to walk away from something, including many energy updates every year, probably, where I'll walk away and go, oh, if I'd have known that theme was going to come through, I could have explained this. And that would have been really helpful. And I could have explained it quicker. But I've learned that it's none of my business like the energy update, I stand there, I do the thing, I let it be intuited and not scripted for a reason. It has an effect because of that reason. It means that my mind might sometimes have to let go of, oh, I could have explained that better, but I didn't, that wasn't the moment. So I think your inner criticism is what you're often in a rebound with when someone else criticizes you. And I actually think in order to be a creator, an entrepreneur, or just, you know, a, a person in the world who can grow and become someone different, not letting criticism stop you, but knowing it might be part of your examination process is going to be part of being human until it gets to a point where it's, you know, it's either not there at all, or it's there in a very small way, but there is a bigger part of you that knows how to deal with it. Yeah, that's really amazing to hear that. And I think it's really important for you know listeners to hear your reflection to know that you know you will be appear to be, you know, you're reaching hundreds of thousands of people each month with your work and you've really developed stuff, but to know that you can be still honest and vulnerable to say these things still come up for you because often I feel people won't go and do them things that they want to do because of that inner critic and the fear of being judged from outside as well. And I, I think that's probably wrecked so many dreams and ideas for people over the years and myself included because I've not felt oh I thought well what might they think and I think a great example for you is I was listening to your story and and you know we obviously being a channel that's you know you really open yourself up maybe not so like sometimes I feel I'd, I don't really mind too much what new people know about me but sometimes you can think well what about my friends and family what about the people I went to school with you know, the people that exactly. have got them really strong ties with. So, you know, for you to be so brave and do that, mm. I'd love to hear just a little bit about that, that time. You know, I, God, it's so funny. And this goes back to the online criticism. And this is one thing that did hurt me early on. I remember a girl I knew called Christina, who's lovely. She's great, great, great person. We were at college together and I really liked her. We didn't know each other that well but we were in a few productions together, theater productions and stuff. So, you know, we had that kind of camaraderie. And then she also was part of a job that I did uh, in my early twenties. 
So I think it was like probably year three of the work I was doing in the world. It was probably 2009, 2010. And I don't know whether it was fueled by too many glasses of wine in her case, because it was, it was late night when this comment came in. But she wrote something on some video that we put out or some, basically it was a channeled paragraph. Maybe she didn't understand that it was channeled information, but she wrote some long comment on my Facebook page and it was something like, the Lee Harris I knew was funny, warm, like a lot of nice words, like kind, you know, whatever it was. This new Lee Harris that he's become seems like an egotistical asshole and da da da, kind of like a whole load of things. And I was so shocked and kind of heartbroken. Um, and also that she publicly posted that rather than like, you know, sent me a message and went, hey Lee, something's on. But it, it was really, uh, it was really helpful because at the time it hurt and I wanted to kind of, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't heard from her or seen her for, for years. But it was actually really helpful to me in understanding the kind of attack or judgment I might get and understanding the difference. And that's the tricky thing that because a part of my work is channeled, um, I, you know, it's hard to stand for something that isn't quite your voice or your language or your way of seeing the world because I cannot claim to see the world the way that my channeled information sees the world. Some of it I do. And some of it has greatly changed my way of seeing things, but a lot of it is new to me or is a level of living that I am not embodying every single day. And that's just the nature of channeled information. So it really helped me go, oh, if this is someone who knew me personally and this has triggered or challenged her in this way, then it gave me more compassion for why people might be freaked out when they don't quite know, are you the channel? Are you the, you know, and, and for me it, at the time, I, I was learning how to exist in both things, to stand for something that's way less convenient than being a singer songwriter. You know, being a singer songwriter, everyone knows what a singer songwriter is. No one's freaked out by the fact that someone wrote some music. Sure. Certain people get like adulation for it, like the Beatles or nowadays people like Ed Sheeran, but people aren't like, oh my God, they wrote this piece of music. That's weird. It's just normal. So I think it helped me to deal with some of that. And definitely in the early years, going public with my work and having a public Facebook profile, while I'd only really been using social media for personal, it was a little strange. But here's the good thing. People, I always say this, and I say this not with any judgment, we as human beings are quite self-interested and self-centered. doesn't mean we can't be kind, benevolent, generous, but there is a part of us that is self-centered. So if you're watching your friend, whether you're annoyed at them or whether you're triggered by them, you're getting something out of it. It's not even really about your friend. But equally, if your friend's out there doing something in the world that you don't understand or you can't, you're not going to be watching your friend all the time. You're going to be getting on with your life. You might go, oh, wow, well, he's really doing this interesting thing. And, oh, and then you're going to, you know, people have their own stuff to do. So I think it's also remembering your friends and family are only going to be as interested in what you're doing as it serves their relationship with you 
or what they're using their relationship with you for. And actually, they're not going to be that interested. So there's no way that my friends or family are really even checking out what I'm doing. They know what I do. They might occasionally show up at an event, but yeah, they're not, they're not watching what I do. And I don't know all the ins and outs of their work either. So I think it's just remembering that, even though the difference when you do public work is you're accessible to your friends and family with your public work in a way that you're not if you're in an office somewhere. You know, it's not like bring your mum to work day um, in the office. Well, that could be fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good to hear, especially, you know, that's your path has been going on for the past 15, 16 years and to see where it's taking you. And it might be that some people aren't resonating with what you're doing to start off with. But if you still, if if you believe in what you're doing or you believe in the higher, the higher order of it and just going with it, eventually they'll come around or, or maybe they won't, but that's okay. But where you are now, you know, and it's the work that matters, isn't it, that you've been doing and, and the amount that you've been helping people. I, I read some of the comments on YouTube and it's just, there's so much love that comes through it that I see and I'm like, wow. And it seems such a lovely community that you've, I don't want to say you've built, but you, ha- well, you have, you've built and they're there and they're all, and, and they've probably are connected to other groups as well. Like you're saying, they won't just be you know following um, just what you're saying, but it's just really very empowering and I think that's the thing for me is when I listen to stuff, that's always a thing for me. When I listen to it, does it make me feel good? Like mm. I listened to um, Bashar a lot. I got into Bashar in about 2012 and almost been like my bit of my sidekick for quite mm-hmm. a few years. And I was fortunate to, to have a session with Dowell a few years ago. And, and yeah, and it's like, and I go on, how does, how does it make me feel? Do I feel like this uplifts me? Can, does this like, you know, when I'm, can I, do something with this energy. And I have the same with yourself and, and other people that I follow. So um, it, must, it must feel really good for you to, to be doing what you're doing, but to relax and know that you're helping so many people. Well, I love that you said that, the barometer of does it make me feel good? Because I also, if in my own journey, there were some people that I was a little bit compelled to watch, but they would make me feel uneasy. But I, I would stay because part of me would think, oh, well, they're clearly intelligent or clearly good at what they do or clearly have spiritual knowledge. But eventually I learned that if there's something off for me that I should no longer give it my attention, unless it's something that I need to examine or resolve in myself. So I love that your barometer is the feel good thing. You know, it does, it does feel really good to know that your work is helping people. And, you know, my motto is, You'd be amazed, I think, um, and I don't have to say this to you because I think you know this, but I think if anyone's listening to this, and, and it can be easy to kind of have a, an us and them kind of, a, you know, uh, oh, I'm not part of that. You could be. Like, you might start a YouTube channel that helps people understand how to care for a parent who's aging or with dementia or something that you're having direct personal experience around and that you feel compelled to share information on. It it, it is amazing how I think people will be grateful for things that they get, especially when they get it for free because they recognize this is, is helping them. But that's why it's actually really good for me to um, do the live events I do and have the meet and greets at the end because I really get to hear what it's doing for people. You know, those are great chances for me to listen. Um, And that has actually really informed my work. Like what I hear from people, 
um, has kept me going. I, I was going to stop doing the energy updates twice, once in 2014 and once in 2016. And both times it was live events and people like holding my hand at the end and going, they have kept me going. And I was like, oh, okay, well, my, whatever my misgivings or issues about these are, I have to get over it. And I did. And, and it, it was, you know, they're, they're, they're a bigger thing than you. And it's, um, it's nice to feel that you, that something you're doing can be affecting others that way. And the way I always connect to it is I think of how grateful I am to the people in my life or, you know, like Elizabeth Gilbert was huge for me for a few years and still is, I still love her energy, but she was, I would put an interview with Elizabeth Gilbert on when I came home from tour dates and was tired and I would watch her energy and her light and that would do something for me. So I, I think it's hard to fully, it's always hard to see yourself as that important for someone else. It's a bit surreal. Like when someone says, Oh, you're my favorite person. I listen to you before I go to sleep. I don't really understand that as me, but I totally understand being in the position they're in with other people. So it's like, Oh, well, great. If that's what it's doing, I will never see myself that way. But if that's what it's doing for you, then I'm thrilled that there's this exchange going on. I feel compelled to do it and to show up and to build a team and to build what we're doing and to continue to hopefully put out not just my work, but other people's work in the future. And, and, and it's working for them because they're receiving from it. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. So you just touched on there. You've been able to build quite a team now. I think there's 10 or 11 of you. So that you've, you've yeah, we, I think uh, including, including people who like, yeah, about 12 actually now. Yeah. And at what point then, because obviously that must have been building for a while, at what point did you kind of realize that what you were doing is the work, that it was actually going to be supporting you, you know, financially to, that's what you could basically go all in on. Was yeah. there a time when it kind of was that realization that, you know what, I don't have to focus on the music or I think it was the acting earlier on, wasn't it? Yeah, acting was my childhood and I think that was my escape. I think, you know, acting and becoming someone else in another story because that was my thing. I was a character actor. I didn't have a great sense of self-identity beyond being a creator. Like I, I really felt I was a creator, but I was very confused about life and about being human and all that stuff. So being someone else was great. <laughs> it was like, oh, I can be Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. Great. I can do that. So, so yeah, but I kind of knew that was complete for me, um, even as I was graduating at drama school. And that was interesting because, you know, it was hard to get into my drama school. I loved the, the course. Um, I graduated top of my year and then my parents did not understand when a year later I said, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it was kind of, it's kind of interesting. But what had happened for me there on that course was I'd got into basically holistic understanding of life. It was a very, they, they brought in things like ecstatic dance, five rhythms, Tim Booth from James was our five rhythms teacher, which was, I didn't really follow the band James, but everyone was so excited when he was coming in. So they introduced us to things like that and Alexander technique and various things that started to align mind, body, spirit. And it was during that period that metaphysics started to take hold and also writing music. So the work interestingly became I think I was very lucky that what I got popular for was 
intuitive readings and the, 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 the dollar value or the, 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 the price value on those things was high enough that when it became time for me to think of hiring someone, you know, if I was charging 200 or 200 or $300 for a session, which at the peak of my popularity, I was with the readings, I was, I was able to, and then even more than that in, in later years, um, because I had a really long waiting list. So as the waiting list just kept growing and as I realized I wanted to do less of them, I would raise my prices because it would help fund all the other production of stuff. And the waiting list didn't go down. It was just like, it would just keep growing. So I was very lucky um, that that happened to me because that meant there was this constant flow of work that I could charge a high price for that in the marketplace was kind of in line with that, that work but I wasn't having to hire someone to help me with the admin for $300 an hour. So it was logical. It was like, okay, well, if, you know, if, even if I have a bad month, even if we don't, you know, sell as many MP3s as I might like, which was the other way that I made income at that point, um, I can always do two more readings that month to earn the $600 to pay for my admin support. So there's, there's a point in your business when you start to cost the business money. If you are spending your time doing an average job at an area of the business that you don't really like. And I was doing a way, I would say worse than average job at some of the things I didn't like. And the more popular I became for the things that I did enjoy, the more I would just leave these things, you know, and they would just be piling up on the left. So um, I think it's, it's always good to hire in a calculated way to not just take a risk and go, well, I'm going to put this person on 25,000 pounds a year and just hope for the best and hope that that grows the business. You've got to be able to go, well, if I'm going to do that, what's my backup plan? Like if for any reason things don't work out, what's my contingency to make sure I can do this? Or do I say to this person, I would love to hire you for the whole year but let's, can we do the first two months, check we're both in alignment with each other, see how it goes, you know, set expectations, which I wasn't very good at at the beginning because I wanted to be a generous employer. I wanted people to feel they could grow, I, you know, and I think I was a bit imbalanced with that. What I learned through hiring teams is you're all serving the business, including me. You know, the business is its own entity and I am an employee of the business, even though my name is on it, even though I'm the head of it, I'm still serving a business that is an entity that serves people. And so it has its own life. So if I was prioritizing someone's healing, which as a healer, you tend to do early on, you'll bring on a team member that you, you think, oh, they'd be great at this. They're not there yet. And they haven't got the skills yet, but you could see it as an intuitive. You're like, they're going to be an amazing manager. They might not be an amazing manager in the timeline you need them to be. They might not be an amazing manager for you. That might not be their path right now. So you have to get very realistic about, is this team member serving the business and the audience? Are they serving the relationship with me? And am I able to serve them? Is, is this job and what it's giving them and the money I can give them and the time I can give them, is it right for them right now in their life? Or is it clear that mm, they're working for too little money in this job? I can't pay that role more 
because we're a small company. But if their stress point is the fact that they're annoyed that they're not in the corporate world anymore, we're going to have a problem. So it's a lot. I mean, having team members is fantastic, but it takes time to kind of learn how to navigate all of those alignments. And um, I feel really grateful. The people I work with today, they're, they're fantastic. And it's, it's lovely to work with people, especially when you know what it's like being solo. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got another team with you as well, which is the disease, which yes. are there to support and guide you as well. And to, because in many ways, you know, it seems like you've built a business and you're this entrepreneur as well. Um, but you'll be creating a business in a different way to maybe what a lot of people may consider to create a business. And I wouldn't imagine, I don't know, I wouldn't imagine you'd have huge spreadsheets and big goals and plans and business plans. You may, I don't know, but I think it sounds like you, you'll go with what, well, the feeling of stuff and what feels right. You're bang on, my friend. You, 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 you captured me. Yeah, we, you know, we don't really have spreadsheets and things. I mean, we, we will have goals and we'll talk about goals as a group, but it is very intuitive. It's, it, it is very much what feels right next. But I will say that there is a kind of structure to it now that there wasn't years ago because I didn't, uh, I, think, I think as things grow around you, in order for them to be growing in a solid way, in a sustainable way, it means you've learned some lessons along the way. And they may have been hard won. You know, I definitely look back on years past and I think structure was a weakness for me in a certain way, not for the audience. I think I was always good at structuring things for the audience, but I think I wasn't very good at structuring things behind the scenes. So I got a little better. and I also hired people who were really good at that and who it's their joy. So, um, yeah, but the intuition is really how I run the business. But, you know, it's funny. I, I had um, a business coach who's a friend, um, and I hired her for about a year at a time when we were looking, when we were going through a big growth period. She said something to me that I'd like to share with anyone listening because it was interesting to me to, to hear this. It was the year that we became a million-dollar business, uh, the gross revenue, not profit, but the gross revenue was a million dollars. And it was, I think it, that would have been, where are we now? 2020, it was 2018. And at the end of that year, she said to me, congratulations, she said on achieving this. Cause we just, we'd taken a big jump. I think we'd grown about $300,000 that year in revenue. Um, and she was, she said, congratulations. She said, I, she, you know, she's been a corporate executive of million dollar budgets. So she knows the corporate world, but she's also a channeler herself. So she knows the intuition. She said, I've got so many clients that I'm coaching who went to business school, who could not make a million dollars and lost money in their businesses. And the, the, the piece about that for me wasn't, and the reason I'm sharing it, it's not like you know, oh, well, I was some genius because, you know, it was over a long period of time and I definitely had help and support and the right people. But I think the reason I share that is because I didn't go to business school, that was always in the back of my mind. And when I was with her, I would always feel very inefficient because, you know, she'd talk to me about big technical terms that I was learning with her and I wouldn't know any of it. But I thought what she said to me was really empowering and really important. And I think I know if I was feeling inadequate as a business person, 
yet not really paying attention to the fact that, hey, you might not know all the business terms, but look, you're doing this thing. Thanks to the support of the people who follow you, this thing is happening and you figured out how to not make it crash and instead keep growing. So I say that to anyone listening because I think we can figure this stuff out. You know, and I'm, I'm still learning every year about what a bigger business requires. Um, but you, you learn it as you go and you don't have to, like you said at the very beginning, you don't have to be perfect. Um, it doesn't have to all be in place for you to start. And in fact, if you wait for that, you're going to be in big trouble because I, I could literally give you a list right now of all the things that we need to improve that I know are not up to standard, but hey, they're out there, they're helping people, and they're just the list that we're working through, that we're about to turn attention towards this area of the business, this uh, product. You know, we're about to overhaul my members community, the portal, which is serving people well, but it could be better. So I think things can always be better, and that's, that's the job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So talk about a little bit about the portal community then and, and, and how that works. It's funny, the portal to me is a bit of an invisible, it's, in, it's it, I say, I mean, it's not invisible because we have almost 2000 members in there, but it feels to me like a best kept secret. Um, we do this 90 minute call together, which I do sat here, it's live over Zoom, although a lot of the members aren't live, I would say about 30% show up for the live call and then everyone else watches the video replay. But I do a deep dive on the energy of the community. So it's, it's a bit like turning my attention, the energy update onto this smaller community. The energy update reaches these days between all the various platforms, anywhere between three and 400,000 people a month at the moment. This is a community of 2000. So I zero in on that community and read the energy of the group for about the first 30 minutes and give them various ways of seeing things, dealing with the things that are going on. Then I take questions for an hour. And I do about the first 30, 35 minutes questions that come to me like this with my intuition. And then I channel the Zs. And the Zs get through questions faster than I do. Um, and so the 90 minute broadcast is really like a healing call. And by the end of it, we, we put the time points of each question so that if there was a certain question someone wanted to go back to, they can find it in the broadcast. Or if they don't want to watch the whole broadcast, they can scan through the questions and go, I'm interested in that at 42 minutes. Um, and then Stephen, my husband, provides Qigong every month. And it's about a 30 minute sequence from him on video that he basis on my energy update. So he will take all the themes of my monthly energy update and he will create a Qigong sequence to help support people in those energetic areas, um, which he films here and we edit it and we put that out to the community and members love that. And then the third biggest piece that people get every month is the MP3 recording. And these are real deep dives into consciousness. And most of the time, their channels from the Z's with music from Devor Bozik, my, my, my dear friend, composer, um, sound healer. And we've just, the last three months in a row have been from Costa Rica, from Soul Magic. So in the evenings at my Costa Rica retreat, people will lie down with a yoga mat, pillow, blanket. Um, we fill the room and the evening sessions, we do three in that week normally, sometimes four, that are one hour long 
transmissions from disease on various topics um, with music underneath. And we often begin and end with a song. So um, yeah, that, those are the three main components of the portal. But then my favorite is probably the community who all just share with each other privately um, and get to talk to each other, process what they're going through. Um, so those are the four elements. And we're going to add a fifth element that I can't talk about yet. Um, but that will be coming out in, in about three. That, that should start in about three months. Um, and we're just going to improve some of the way that people experience the portal in, in, inside. So, yeah, that's the portal. And we've done it for, it will be seven years in, in May. And it's evolved over time. Wow. And like you say, almost 2,000 people are signed up each month. Yeah. Um, that's, um, so was that being nice just over seven years? It's just, did it sort of add yeah, we, bumps up or is it just... We started with 100 and I want to say it was like 140 or 140 something, um, which was amazing. I was like, wow, you know, and, um, and actually, you know, it, it, was, it was a smaller thing. We didn't have Stephen in there in 2013 because I didn't meet him till 2015. Um, but they would get a recording each month and they would get the broadcast, but also the recordings have, you know, in terms of production quality, they've gone through the roof. I mean, the recordings, Davor spends 30 to 50 hours on a recording every month. So it's not just me on a dictaphone with a microphone, which it might've been a bit more like that at the beginning. No, these are fully fleshed out original composition productions We'll have violinists, guitarists go into his studio to create these recordings that are really only found in the portal. So, um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of energy goes into it. And it's amazing how the music's such an amazing, strong part for you because that's what you you know when you're going way back when you're in your you know your teenage years and stuff, and you would have never thought that how that music would have played into what you're doing now if you would have just stayed being a kind of you know a singer songwriter. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? And it's funny because I kind of walked away from that in order to do this. So I never thought it would come back. And I kind of made my peace with it. It was hard. It wasn't easy because I loved creating music. But then, um, funnily enough, it was, it was the encouragement of people to do it. We, we sang a couple of songs at a couple of seminars. Just It wasn't really... I don't, it's not that it wasn't planned. We did plan to do it. But it was people's response to it that made us start to really include it because music's so universal. I think, um, you know, we all love what it does to our bodies. So, so yeah. And it's nice when we've created original songs that people like to sing along with as well, because then there's two things going on. You're, you're giving them a song and then they're joining in. It's kind of great. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to be delving into the portal. Um, awesome. And it's interesting with me um, doing this interview. And, and even though there's a part of me when I'm getting in touch with people thinking, oh, that'd be great for me to share it, but not realizing how powerful effect these interviews are having on me as well. And even in the build up to it, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Lee's book and I'm going to listen to his book. And the, the feeling and the changes that are going on for me leading up to this is quite a, it's a transformation in itself. And so, yeah, I, um, I love the way kind of, you know, that unfolds for me rather than thinking, I'm just going to have an interview with someone and then I'm going to share it on, online. It's, it's the whole thing for me as well, which is really yeah. interesting. I suppose on a deeper level, that's why it's, I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, yesterday I just did an interview with an author um, and because my publisher reached out to me and, and said, 
we've got this new author and we think you'll you'll really like her and she's coming through LA to do some other interviews. Would you have her on the show? Um, I got to read her book. I would never have read her book. Um, and, and I loved it. And it was, in, it, it, her story is about sobriety and how sobriety gave her a major awakening. Um, yeah, so, so it, was, it was a slightly different slant for me, but like you said, you do, you get to have a different experience. And like I said to you before we got started with this conversation, although I don't know, maybe, maybe there was no before, maybe the, this is just what you, I don't know how much of what we said at the beginning you include or not, but um, yeah, just what you're doing, there is, uh, for me too, I was looking forward to meeting you today because when the request came through and I saw your website, there's a vibration and an aesthetic that you have put into your website that very clearly magnetized me because it's so nice. And then first thing I said to you is, wow, I love your gorgeous space. And you tell me that design is, you know, part of your work. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense because you're bringing a lot of harmony through the design element, which is its own encoding. Thank you. That's um, really nice to hear from you. I really appreciate that. So it would be... um, I'd love to hear about disease a little bit more as well and, mm. and to, you know, and to find out, you know, from you more about them and how they come through you and the impact that they are having. And do they have a particular theme that they talk about generally? Yeah. So I first met them when I was 22. I was on the tube, the London underground. Um, I was going to my work in fundraising and I was sifting through all the thoughts in my head And I'd never heard them before, although they've since pointed out childhood experiences, including a recurring dream that I used to have that was them, uh, which made so much sense in the dream. I was, it's the only recurring dream I ever had in my life. And I kind of forgot about it for quite a few years. And then it came back. I would be, we, I was born in Birmingham, but we left there when I was six. So I didn't live there for very long, but the house we had in Birmingham was um two you know just a typical two-story suburban house um and i would go downstairs in the dream and all i could hear in the room was television static which if you're very young you might not know what that is but um for those of us who remember there was a time when television would stop at like midnight and if you turned on the television there would be nothing broadcasting apart from this black and white kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what the screen, how you describe it, but it, 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 the, the sound would be like, and um, I think if you watch the movie Poltergeist, you'll see what I mean. Classic film. Um, and in one corner of the room was this, I can't say she was a woman because she didn't seem hugely human, but she was, a, I knew she was a female figure. And she had like a big blonde afro, but again, it wasn't an afro. It wasn't necessarily, it, I'm, I'm putting 3D terms onto something that I think was more amorphous in, in my dream. And then on the other side, there was a man, both of them wearing like robes, like to the floor. And they were both doing this. They had their hands either side of their mouth and they were going, so they were speaking but I couldn't hear anything because all I could hear was this television static. And I remember in the dream, I would just, I didn't feel frustrated, but I would just like look at each one in turn for a few minutes. And then I'd go to the other one. 
I couldn't hear what they were saying. And I knew they were trying to tell me something, but I just couldn't hear them. And years later, I was like, was that you? And they were like, yes. And I was like, okay, now that makes sense. So they said they'd been with me all my life. They're my guides, that all of us have guides. It doesn't mean that everyone will hear them. It doesn't mean everyone wants to hear them. But that in much the same way that we're connected to other human beings on the planet, we're connected to other energies, entities, you know, and they said, if you could, if you could lift the veil of your 3D seeing and see the world of energy around you, above you, below you, you blow your mind. So I always think of that when I see science programs that show all the bacteria and the life that we can't even see that's going on around us. So my guys, when I first met them and I figured out it wasn't schizophrenia, which at first I did wonder, I was like, I'm hearing this voice, but it was very, um, it wasn't even what they said. It was how they made me feel. So I would go from being very kind of, uh, Oh, this isn't working in my life. And oh, how am I going to deal with this? And, uh, and then they would say something about that specific thing. And not only would what they said make mental sense, but I would start to notice my body, my energy would kind of open out again. And I would, I would be connected to spirit and openness in a, in a, in a very evident way. And more than that, the things they said would come true. They would be um, informative in the weeks to come if I went back and look at the notes that I wrote. So they explained to me, we're a collective. It's not just one of us. We're a group. But you hear me, the lead spokesperson, Zachary. A couple of years later, I met a couple of other energies in the group who both said, you could consider that we are female or feminine energy, but they said, not so defined as it is on earth for us. It's not like male body, female body. And of course, these days, all of that's changing for us as feminine and masculine energy become less defined on earth, which is important. They get to harmonize more. Um, but after a few years of hearing the three different voices and channeling through the three different voices, they went back into one group collective voice. And they said, it's important now that we just are, are a group. So the reason they're called the Z's is because people used to call them that. Um, you know, I used to say, this is a Zachary channel. This is a Zachariah channel. This is a Zydora channel for about seven years. And then when they re-homogenized, um, people would still go, oh, is it the Z's? So it was other people who gave them that name. Um, and they've explained that they are, they, they say we're, you can think of us as two things, a voice of galactic source energy. So they're not angels, they're not humans, they're also not aliens. They say we're, we're travelers and we're connected to all of it. But they also said, think of us as a consciousness library. We're a collective of 88 energies and beings, but we then also channel. So we extend into everything. And they said, it's no different for you. They said, you as human beings think that you are this one defined identity, but you aren't you're completely influenced by all the people who raised you, all the people you've been closest to, and the man or woman that you just walked past on the street and how they felt. So several of them have been incarnate on the earth, which I think is why whenever I've encountered Pleiadians or um, energies that identify as alien, they can come across as a bit colder than say I ever find disease, even though I don't think of disease as human either, very clearly not. 
but I think that might just be because of some of the the experiences that they've had. But they also said they use my um, em- my empathy and emotional signature to um, to communicate the right frequency at the right time. So that was the other thing they taught me. As a channeler, you you are part of the equation more than I had been led to believe channeling was created. You know, I always assumed, wow, Jane Roberts, and I know Jane Roberts was a trans channeler, so that's a different thing, but, or I'd assumed Esther Hicks is absolutely nothing to do with Abraham. And they say, no, no, that's not true. Every channeler is a part of the way they channel and their unique vibration their ability with language, like they said, they, they rely on my ability with language because that's, and they say most channelers are good with language. That's, that's part, part of the deal. Um, but then there are words and sentences they, they give me that I, I, I'm like, oh, I don't, I have to go and, I had to go and look up quite a few words in the early years um, because I didn't quite understand the way they were using them. So that's how the Z's, who the Z's are. And the book that we released last year was a distillation. Uh, It was called Energy Speaks. And it was a distillation of kind of their classic, the classic things they like to talk about. And they like to talk about how we are here creating and influencing this planet and our lives in ways we cannot comprehend. They're very clear we're not victims. They say you might feel like a victim sometimes, your grief, your pain, your sadness, your anger. And, it, and they say it's okay. They say if, you, if, you, if you're a victim, if you feel like you're a victim for a while or if you experience yourself as being a victim, there's nothing wrong with that. They said, but as a soul, you are not a victim. As a soul, you go through growth experiences, lessons. And also when you have kind of, when you've come to terms with some of your key or core learning and healing in your life, then it gets really interesting. Once your awareness has grown, that you become conscious to what some of your challenges are or have been, and you become a little more open to the kind of things you want to create in life, they say then you get to level up and you start to have an experience of life where you're more co-creating with the universe rather than following your destiny path. We have free will all along the way, we can influence and change the course and the timing of events in our life, but we can't get away from our key themes. And some of us come here with themes of what we're here to do in the world. So you might be here to be a healer or a light worker or a change agent or an activist. And those things are very much part of your design, but equally what we came here to learn. Maybe we came here to learn forgiveness this time or humility or uh, a certain area of of consciousness that we either were wounded in in a former lifetime or that's going to serve our mission if we learn it in this one so yeah i mean it's complex it's there's a lot that they talk about but they really what they do say is that they they refer to us a lot as cosmic family they say you're not you know you 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 tend to think you're of the earth and you're not they say uh you know you you they they laugh at the term human alien because they said there's really no difference between those two words. And yet you all like to play in a, a them and us game. Um, because they said everything is a continuum. And what goes on on earth right now, especially right now at this time in history, is really 
key universally as well. Incredible to hear, you know, much more about them. And so when you go, when you bring through disease, do you have to go through a certain process yourself to get yourself, you know, into that state or is it more, you know, not, yeah, not anymore. Um, not anymore. It's pretty quick now. Um, because I can talk to them anytime, but bringing them through my body and letting that's different. And I have to be willing. (laughs) So, um, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty willing and I, and I know when I'm doing it and why I'm doing it, but the, the times that it can be difficult for me is if I'm in some big emotional process. Um, it's one thing if I'm contracted to channel because of an event or because of a live broadcast, then there's, it's not very, very negotiable. But if I decide, oh, on Wednesday, I'm going to channel a new MP3 for the portal, um, then I have to be in the right space because the message has to come through me in the right way on the right day. So, um, but no, it's not hard. It's quite quick. Um, normally within a minute now I can be channeling. I just have to close my eyes and shift gear and to some degree, let them take over. And it's like sitting behind myself and getting to hear what they're saying. I could stop it at any time. So if at any point I'm uncomfortable, I can just stop it and come out. But the, the willingness to stand by their words was something that I had to learn slowly over the years. It was a little triggering to my ego to um, let some of those words come out my mouth and let my voice and name be associated with some of these things I couldn't always explain or maybe a little triggering to some people. And I, you know, I'd rather that <laughs> I'd rather not be triggering to people. That's not my ideal scenario. But I also understood with channeling, there's something bigger at work than my own understanding. So, so does you at that point when you say you kind of move and behind yourself, does that mm. mean the, the ego, the mind chatter, just is not is completely gone, or does it is it is it or are you just on a different wavelength or? A com- like a couple of times, my mind will come in in the first minute or two while it's like there's a transitionary period. And how I tend to start it is they will visually show me like the first five to 10 words. So it's a bit like skywriting. And what I do is I normally, sometimes it's fully in, but other times if I just repeat those words that I see, we're in. It's like it it needs an ignition. Um, What I've learned to do is to try to reserve my own listening to it for later. Not that I listen to the channels. I probably haven't heard 90% of the work I've done in terms of recordings. I review the sound. I review some of the music. I review the beginning and the ending. I, you know, I listen with engineers ears to the sound and the sonics, but I don't want to sit there and listen to the whole thing, but it, it can be, um, it feels great afterwards. It's like a Reiki session. Um, it can be tiring and it's not the kind of thing you can do. And then, you know, walk into a busy crowded shopping mall and feel okay. Um, but it feels good. It's like a cleanse energetically. Yeah. It's fascinating. Something I've been, 
um, really interested in myself and have sort of played about with, you know, automatic writing a little bit and just journaling and almost asking myself a question and seeing what comes back and just going with that. And, and, and when I look back at some of the stuff that's been said, I'm like, wow, I feel like I couldn't have said that. Yeah. Like, that is, wow. I'm pretty impressed with what that is. Brilliant. Was like I couldn't put my name to that, but it, it's obviously come through in some way. So that's awesome. That's great. And do you do it regularly? I journal regularly. Um, mm. I don't necessarily um, ask as many questions sometimes. Sometimes I'm just, depends what phase I'm in in my life. At the moment, I'm just trying to get stuff out, what's coming up for me. But there is definitely times when I will just sit down and go, okay, what's going on here? What's, what's the deeper meaning to this? Can I have some, you know, help me get some perspective? I just like take myself back from it all a little bit. That's great. You're channeling, baby. <laughs> no, and it, no, it's really, you know, one thing I always encourage people to do, because I didn't want to channel. Um, it wasn't something I was looking to do. Um, but I say we all can. I think when I first knew channeling, I was about 20. So it was about two years before it happened to me. Um, but I, one thing I say to people now is, we can all channel our soul, the voice of our higher self. We may not all meet or identify a guide and it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's great and that's what you do and that's what you're looking for. Great, perfect. But it's not really that important. But channeling for yourself, talking, asking, what does my soul want to tell me today? Letting that be an opening question if you don't have a specific question. Um, that's really good for you and it's really important and it does access the higher wisdom that we all have access to if we choose to focus on it. And I think just the very act of you doing it like you just described is what gives permission for that information to be revealed for you. But if we never sit down with the pen and the paper or the keyboard and the computer, nothing happens. We don't, I think that's one of the things that sometimes I've had to explain to people over the years I realized some people thought that as a channeler, it's like you were donked on the head by a big sword of light and you were somehow blessed that spirit would move into your life all the time. And I, for me, it, it's actually nine times out of 10 that I place my attention on them and start a conversation. And it's one time out of 10 that they tap me on the shoulder and go, hey, we want to talk to you about this or watch out for this, or we want you to do this recording. But m most of the time it's, it's co-creative. So I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. It's something I'm going to just continue. And I think what I like about the journaling and writing it down, I tend to do it at nighttime when I'm, when I'm in bed and there's no expectation of this having to feel like I have to share this anywhere. Sometimes when I'm doing my work stuff or if I'm writing stuff, it can, sometimes I can have that expectation. I'm going to do something with this. And that prevents me feeling like I can relax. So for me, yeah. journaling, it's like as if no one has to ever see this if they don't want, you know, this is just for me. And, and I think as well, what's really helped for me is at this time, you know, it can feel like the world's pretty unsettled. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of challenges at the moment. And if yeah. you just suck into, say, sticking on the nightly news or, you know, buying into that drama, you can really get sucked into that and, be, and play that victim role, which you're saying, disease are very much saying, we're not victims, you know, mm -hmm. we can come into our own power and ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, that is, and we get that by coming to ourselves and being connected with other people that can, can help and lift that. So for me to have that tool for me and also connect with you and listen to the stuff that you're doing and other people's helps me navigate life in a more harmonious way. Something without feeling like, I, can, I love that term where people say life isn't happening to you, it's happening through you. Mm-hmm. And the more we can realize that and what's going on outside, it doesn't have to affect us anywhere near as much as what it can it can do. If you drop into, you know, you know, we've just gone through Brexit here in the UK, and there's a big election that's going on in America, gearing up, and and we've got all the climate catastrophes going around of Australia, and there's no doubt on many levels, I can you can really feel it, and I can be like, whoa, but then on another side, it's like, okay, you know. I, I, I can't let it feel like I can't do anything about it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I've realized is the more we cultivate that harmony in ourselves, the more that's what we walk into the world. It's like, there's a reason that some of the people that I meet who have been meditators for 30, 40 years, they have an energy about them and it's not luck and it's not, they're blessed, it's that they've practiced. And they have over and over again practiced bringing themselves to a state of peace and spaciousness so that that has become more their normal. Doesn't mean they don't have problems, bad days, challenges, but it does mean that they're, they've calibrated a new normal for themselves versus just being in response to the outside world. And sure, the news, the news is designed to keep us scared. I'm not saying that we don't need to know some of those headlines. I'm not saying that it isn't good to keep in touch with some of the stuff going on around the world, but um, much of the news and corporate run news and government run news is designed to keep us held in place and held in the system that isn't working, but doesn't really want to talk about why it's not working. So yeah, I mean, there are certainly things that you have to learn to find your place with and find your way of using the stressors in a different way, I think, um, while you're also cultivating good energy for yourself through exposing yourself to the right people, the right practices. Um, yeah, self-care is, is, is a big topic right now on the planet because it's really needed. It's, you know, figuring out what any of us need to stay in balance as much as we can because these are imbalanced times. It's actually really important. Yeah, and, and something you touched on there as well is like, you know, these things that happen in an external world, we can use them as a thing to say, you know what, well, if that's the case, I'm going to do my bit about that. If it's something to do with the environment or anything, but, you know, whether it's Boris Johnson or Trump in power, often I think that can be a trigger for more people to say, you know what, I'm not having this. I'm going to, let's come together as a group. These are the things that we can be doing where if we had all these harmonious leaders in place, maybe just maybe some of us would might sit back and say, it's okay. They've got this handled for us, but it's almost like we're taking it upon ourselves to say, you know what? We need to change the direction of stuff and we can all play a role in it. Whether it's you reaching hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people each month, or someone's just helping one person a month, you know, it's just that feeling of I'm going to be of service. I'm going to be a yeah. service to myself and to others. And the more of us can do that, it's going to really help with this shift over the next decade or two. So true. 
So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And what do, um, do you get then a lot of support from the Z saying, you know, obviously it's very traumatic at this time or it might feel like it, mm. but you know, there's, is, well, let's say, is there a light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, is it? I think, you know, that's one of the benefits for me of doing this work in services every month. I, I get to hear the Z's in the portal broadcast, the MP3 that goes out, you know, and the messages, a lot of the MP3s are about dealing with these times and what's talking about what's going on, why it's going on, what's up ahead and how to calibrate within it. So I'm lucky that this is my job because I don't know, I don't, yeah, I, I feel like there are things that I get to hear because they are collective questions that I may not have heard or may not have asked in quite the same way. So, um, no, they talk about 2020 to 2024. Well, they've spoken for a while about 2018 to 2024. They talked about this as, as early as 2016. They said, you, this is a kind of really pivotal, um, gnarly period on earth. But the 2020 to 2030 decade is really important. And they still have that first four years of this decade as uh, intense and, um, complicated a time where lies get revealed truth comes out discomfort the one thing that you just said that has come to me uh, several times over the years and through them is the inescapable truth of our changing climate is actually helping us individuals as a world to feel a lack of trust and question and cross-examine what's going on in the world in a bigger way. So the irony is that the environmental and climate changes are actually helping with a political and systems awakening because people don't feel safe and clearly aren't protected from some of these things. And you get to see that the agendas that are going on in those systems are not focused on human well-being, not at all. They're not focused on the well-being of nature, not focused on the well-being of animals. I'm not saying some individuals in those systems aren't standing for that. Some of them are. But, um, and, and we're seeing more progressive, I don't even mean left or right progressive, I just mean more progressive thinking, feeling people wanting to go into politics to try and shake up the game from the inside. So the Zs do talk about, they say that the consciousness transformation is going to happen. Um, it's already happening. It's on. They also try and remind us, they say, even with the challenges and stresses you've got right now, human consciousness has never been this good. They say, if you were to go back five, six, 700 years, you'd be horrified at the way people treated each other. And they say, so you also have to understand that you can't be in the eye of transformation without surrendering to change and without surrendering to certain things that you used to know as true. Uh, no longer being true. So they really come at it from a core place. Um, and, and it really, I have to say, it really helps me. Um, and more importantly, I've got to test it now for 20 years. Um, it's not just pie in the sky, oh, that makes me feel good and I can switch off. I actually get to see the truth of their words as we've gone through two decades and how some of these things have shown up that they predicted and also how using the way to approach it has helped me and others. So it's interesting when you see it from that broader perspective, it helps you feel less compressed with the 
pain or the density of the, the smaller perspective. Yeah, like you say, not to be so much in that. Of, of course, we want to be more in the moment of stuff, but not to be sort of wracked in that fear of every time you hear something new that's happening. Like you say, yeah. if you, you can see, you take it from a bigger perspective and see, well, this is part of the transformation. And often, you know, it, it feels like for me, what I've heard from plenty of other people, that this is the time when stuff's really got to come out. You know, this is when it's got to come out. We've got to clear this stuff now if we want to make the shift. So it might appear like all stuff to, is, is coming out, which might not seem great, but it's always been happening. It's just now, it's, yeah. you know, the veil's been lifted. For sure, for sure, yeah. 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 I'm conscious that I'm um, maybe running out of time and I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I'd love just to hear a little bit about your events and what you've probably got coming up and, yeah. and how people who are, might hear this and think, you know what, I'd, I'd love... Love the idea of joining along, whether it's your Costa Rican one or yeah. Right, yeah. So we have we have um, the portal is the online members community, so worldwide because you can join us that way um, easily from the comfort of your own home. Um, and then the physical events that we've got, we have a couple of dates coming up in Calgary um, and Toronto. Uh, an event called Intuitive Power. That's a one day workshop we did in London in June 2019. Um, and then in Scottsdale, Arizona, April 1st through 5th is my impact the world training. It's five days. It's for soul focused entrepreneurs. So we look at mindset, how to deal with everything energetically, but we also look at all the nuts and bolts of not just running your business and bringing your work into the world, but what might be areas that will help you expand. So I break down all of the kinds of different things that we do. Um, you also hear from members of my team and some guest speakers, but also looking at the world right now and some of the possibilities, things that we don't do, but that I've seen working for other people um, and just kind of share that. So that's a five day immersion. Um, and then we're going to have a European tour in June. And we're literally just about to announce that I think any day now. So London is June the 14th if I'm not mistaken, which is a Sunday. And then we are in Amsterdam, Oslo, and Berlin that week. Um, and we're bringing music to those events too. Davor Bozik is coming with me, so is Stephen. Um, and that's called the Ignite Your Soul Tour. So in London and in Berlin, it's a one-day experience. And in Amsterdam and Oslo, it's an evening experience. And I will answer questions. I will speak intuitively to the room so kind of like an energy update for that room um and we will bring some music some channeling and Stephen will bring some qigong and then we have costa rica which is our seven day uh seven day deep dive with uh people who want to really look at their year ahead and spend a week immersed in calibrating to where they want to go in the year ahead so we look at the things you want to let go of we look at the things you want to bring in. And as a group, this medicine wheel takes place over seven days of laughing, learning, processing, moving energy, exercises, channeling and sound healing in the evenings. We have two dance nights. There are excursions. Stephen teaches Qigong and Pilates in the morning. And it's in this gorgeous place called Blue Spirit Costa Rica with our own private beach. Uh, just down the path um so yeah that's that's our, our kind of biggest event of each year that and the entrepreneur training impact the world 
Yeah, the one in Costa Rica sounds incredible. How many people actually uh, do you cater for on that week? We have we have a maximum in Costa Rica of it depending on how many people share rooms. Last year we were sold out with eighty people, but we have the whole place to ourselves. So um, we have a, it's a big property, and um, so I would say that if we had more room shares this year, it could go as high as eighty five, and then I bring a team of eight. So there were 88 of us last year and um, that's the maximum, but we have a lot of space and a and very big, beautiful room to work in. So it still feels very intimate. It's incredible hearing that because when I see your trajectory and I think some of the things I'd love to be doing in the future and, you know, retreats in some places and around the world and to see you doing that and the path that you've gone on, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing to see and it's inspirational. So um, thanks for being that light in the world. Oh, no, not at all. You know, I, I kind of, I feel like as the person who's gone on that path, you just feel very lucky. I mean, I remember the Brighton Friends Meeting House um, evening events of, you know, 15, 20 people. And, and I'll be honest, that was amazing. I was like, wow, there's 20 people here. So, you know, I feel very lucky to have... Um, to have, 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 have got to experience the scale of it because it's, it's, it's different and it's the same. Meaning I still have very fond memories in my heart of those events with 20 people, just like, you know, we were just with 220 people for a day workshop in Portland on Saturday. And that was wonderful too. So, but it, it is lovely to, to have growing numbers because it means you can do more, give more. Um, yeah. So Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you today. Yeah, as it really is. Just one last question then, Lee. Um, I asked this to all um, my guests and, you know, this podcast is all about doing good and you're obviously doing an amazing about good. But for anyone who's listening to this, what advice would you give them that are looking to go out and do their own bit of good in the world? Who you're going to become is not who you are today. And you will figure out who you're going to become only by starting and it's only as you do each next thing that you start to be able to do bigger things richer things learn more so don't stop yourself your compulsion to do it is enough and you will figure out and get help along the way with all of the things that you don't yet know perfectly said that's really great. That thank you very much. Well, it's been it's been a privilege speaking to you today. I've really really enjoyed it, and I've got so much out of it. I'm sure the listeners will as well. So thank you so much, Lee. Thank you. It's been lovely to be with you and get to meet you. And I really love what you're doing with your show. So thank you so much for having me on, and to all your listeners, have a great day. So there we have it, guys. There's today's episode all wrapped up with Lee Harris. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Like I really, really enjoyed it. I I felt so uplifted after the after chatting with Lee. I felt really inspired. It it was like yeah. I remember waking up the day after, like feeling really like you know a charge and wanting to go ahead and move forward with some of the things that I'm looking to create in my life. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Leave us a review on Apple. That would go a long way. And as well, if you feel like supporting this podcast further, you can also sign up on my Patreon and you can become a member there for as little as I think it's two dollars a month. Um, and that would help me. That helps me to continue to put these episodes out and to share these with the world. So anyway, guys, until next time, have a good one. Mm -hmm.